1: from KQED.
2: Hey QED in San Francisco, I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim, coming up on Forum. More than half of all abortions in the United States are performed with medication, according to the Guttmacher Institute. But a federal judge in Texas, in a decision that's expected soon, could block access to a key abortion drug nationally. We'll take stock of the case and what it would mean to lose this gold standard medication eight months after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. And we'll dig into why one Texas judge holds the power to decide this and what his record has been on reproductive and other civil rights. That's next, After This News. Welcome to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim. Typically, if you're inducing a medication abortion, you take Mifepristone, the quote-unquote gold standard abortion drug, followed 24 to 48 hours by the drug misoprostol. And according to the reproductive rights organization, the Guttmacher Institute, since 2020, more than half of all abortions in the United States have been performed with medication, meaning most follow that protocol. But a federal court case in Amarillo, Texas, could remove Mifepristone from the market nationally. This hour on forum will take stock of the case, what its implications could be, and where abortion rights in the U.S. stand eight months post Roe v. Wade. Joining me to discuss the case and what's ahead are Michelle Goodwin, Chancellor's Professor at UC Irvine School of Law. Her books include Policing the Womb, Invisible Women, and the Criminalization of Motherhood. Professor Goodwin, thanks for joining us.
3: It is always a pleasure to be with you all. So thank you so much for having me.
2: Always a pleasure. We co- I know we come to you often, so we really appreciate your time. Also with mm-hmm. us this morning is Shafali Luthra. She's health reporter covering the intersection of gender and healthcare at the 19th. That's an independent nonprofit newsroom reporting on gender politics and policy. Uh, she also is author of a forthcoming book about abortion access in the post Roe era. Shafila, uh, sorry, Shafali. Shafila Luthra. Thank you for joining us. I am tripping over your name. I apologize. It's Monday.
1: You're totally good. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Well, I would love to start with you because I know you've been following this case really closely. Um, and I think just for our listeners, um, you know, we kind of laid out at the top that these are very common um, drugs used to induce abortions. Uh, so let's talk about this case. What is Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine versus the FDA? What, what is the, the sort of basis of this lawsuit?
1: The case here, essentially, Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine is is a branch, essentially, of Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a very strong anti-abortion, largely social conservative, religiously aligned organization. And they have filed suit in federal court in Texas, specifically arguing that Mifepristone, one of the two medications used to induce an abortion, should not have been approved. They are arguing about safety concerns that they say are damaging and were ignored. And their claim is that the FDA's approval for Mifepristone should be revoked. Some important context here is that Mifepristone has been on the market in the US for more than 20 years. It is a global standard drug for medication abortion. It is used in many, many, many abortions and all the data shows us that it is in fact very safe and very effective. So legal experts and medical experts have been very critical of this case. They say there is very little actual solid grounding to justify revoking the approval of this drug, which would also be quite unprecedented. But given the political leanings of this judge, the judge involved here, a man in Texas named Matt Kaxmark, There is a really prevalent expectation that he might be sympathetic to these arguments and that he might rule that Mifepristone should no longer be distributed in the U.S., which would have a very significant impact on abortion access, not just in Texas, not just in states that ban abortion, but across the entire country.
2: And before we go to Professor Goodwin about some of the legality here, I just want to go back to something you said that this is very safe. How do we know that? Like, what is the evidence that this is a safe drug? Um, because, as you say, it was approved more than two decades ago by the FDA.
1: My gosh, we have so much data. I was just reading yet another paper about the safety and efficacy of medication abortion drugs this morning. The FDA standards for approval are quite rigorous, and there has been just copious follow up. For all of the years it's been on the market, we have had the some of the best minds in reproductive health following what happens when people take this medication. And what they found is that complications are incredibly low. It is. It is largely safer than going through with pregnancy. There is a lower complication rate for medication abortion. And we also know that it is very effective as well.
2: And quickly, um, Shafali, do they use it also for um, like miscarriages? Is this something used beyond it, the abortion sort of? Yeah.
1: It is recommended for miscarriage. Um, it makes the miscarriage process much more seamless because first trimester abortions, medication abortions are functionally you no know, different from miscarriage the difference is that they are induced but they, they look the same medically but the challenge with p- folks who are miscarrying is that there have been for so long so many restrictions already on the ability to prescribe and to get mifepristone that even though it is part of the gold standard for miscarriage care it is
2: not always available oh, got it that is Shafali luther she's health reporter covering the intersection of gender and health care at the 19th and Third, third try, I got your name right. Um, <laughs> Professor Goodwin, I want to bring you in here to talk about, like, what is the legal argument against this drug being made in this case then? It seems unusual as a layperson to see a regulatory process challenged more than two decades after <laughs> it went into effect.
3: Well, that's right. I, I, I First, it's, it's great that this is uh, being addressed in the show today. And notice that the claim is not that um, there is a contemporary flaw in how the approval process um, has taken place. But instead, it is a claim that dates back to a couple decades ago that that was, in fact, a flawed process. You know, I think it is hard to um, avoid seeing the way in which there is a kind of Uh, political gaming that we see now enter the space of judges judging. And I think that that really is the question where we're at today. We've seen this raised with the Supreme Court. And this is not just scholars who are watching this, but the American public that has now lost confidence in a dramatic degree with not only now our Supreme Court, but also a deep concern about the way in which there is almost a kind of jurisprudential gerrymandering that is taking place with regard to fundamental rights. Certainly those that protect the interests of women, but not alone. And I think that that is part of what is being seen as the kind of atmosphere that is being curated around one judge potentially undermining um, the accessibility of of mythopristone for the entire country.
2: And can you talk about this? Because my understanding is that Uh, groups and not just this case but other civil rights case have chosen to file it in this jurisdiction specifically because there's only one judge there and it is uh this person who they believe i think uh, right-wing groups believe will be on their side we're talking um about judge matthew uh so how how does that just functionally work like can i just go out and decide okay i I think this judge might be you know friendly to my cause so i'll file in, in his court
3: well, there forum shopping is actually not new, so it is the case that lawyers will sometimes seek to bring a litigation, class action litigation in a certain venue where in that particular jurisdiction, they're likely to get a certain type of outcome. In this case, what we've seen is that there have been judges and justices that were appointed by the former president who said that he would only appoint judges or justices that would uh, criminalize um, people who seek abortions and those who provide it uh, or make it such that Roe and Planned Parenthood v. Casey would be overturned. And now what we see, and you've asked the right question, it's a bit of a forum shopping form shopping in a specific district where it's likely, because a judge has made certain presentments in the past, that the judge would be sympathetic to their cause. And this is what it is that we're seeing in this case, and this is why there's such tremendous alarm, because the REACH will not be simply local, quite possibly. But the reach of that very that judge in that very small district <laughs> might be nationwide, and that is the deep concern.
2: And uh, Shafali, how likely is that in this case that what this judge, if if he decides uh, to essentially say yes, this regulatory process was not done properly two decades ago, you know, you cannot use this drug. Is it seem likely that that would be a national injunction?
1: I think. It is always difficult to prognosticate and predict too much about what individual judges will do, even one with such an extensive track record as this. But there is a very real possibility, it is not at all remote, that that is in fact what happens. And I just can't emphasize enough how dramatic the implications would be. I have spoken to abortion providers across the country in states with all level of abortion rights protections, abortion restrictions. And this is what they are all preparing for. They are deeply concerned about no longer being able to provide mifepristone to their patients and either switching to a different medication abortion regimen, which we can talk about how that would work, or some of them are even preparing to drop medication abortion altogether, even though it is legal to provide and switching only to to procedural abortions, which for some of them, they say, would limit how many patients they can serve. So what this means practically is that In this very possible scenario where Mifepristone is taken off the market, is made unavailable in the United States, abortion will remain available, but it will put just far greater strains on a healthcare system that has already been really struggling ever since Roe was overturned last summer, and if we go back even further, ever since Texas effectively outlawed most abortions in the fall of 2021.
2: Yeah. And I I do want to underscore what you're saying here, because I think it's important for folks in places like where we (laughs) I sit in California to understand this. If it was a national injunction, it would impact even states with very liberal abortion laws where it is legal uh, entirely.
1: Yes. And one thing I've been really struck by is, I mean, in California clinics in San Francisco, in Southern California, they have seen people come from out of state to seek abortions in state. It's not as common as in a state like Kansas, which is surrounded by states with abortion bans. but it's far from unheard of. And what that means is that clinics in California as well are already operating at a greater capacity and a higher stress level than they are used to. And the loss of Mifepristone just adds another challenge to an already very difficult situation.
2: We are talking with Safali Luther, health reporter at the 19th, and Professor Michelle Goodwin, chancellor's professor at the UC Irvine School of Law. Have you used any of these abortion medications? Share your experience, or do you have questions or feelings about the federal case or about how abortion laws have changed since last June? You can give us a call at 866 You can email us, forum at kqed.org, or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at kqedforum. We'll be right back.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. In this morning, for Mina Kim, we are talking about a federal court case in Texas that could end up blocking access to the key abortion drug, Mifepristone, nationally. And we have with us Professor Michelle Goodwin at the UC Irvine School of Law and Shafali Luthra, a health reporter at the Ninth. Um, We want to hear from you. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. We want to know, have you used uh, this abortion drug, Mifepistone? Um, And how are you and your family members being affected by the changing laws regulating abortion? And what are your questions or feelings about this federal case? Um, We have been talking about this issue a lot on this show, and I know that folks have a lot of feelings and thoughts. Uh, You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, and you can always email us at forum at kqed.org. A listener wants to know, how can a judge rule what drugs drugs are safe and effective, leave judging the safety of drugs to scientists, Doxpert, doctors and experts stick oh, sick of religious fanatics excuse me um, uh, Professor Goodwin can I go back to that because I, I want to dig into this a little more like what? Sure. H- how do you make this argument are they is the actual substance of the case arguing uh, contrary to what Shafali talked about, which is the sort of overwhelming evidence of the last 20 years, or is this a kind of more technical attack on the actual regulatory approvals that happened a while ago?
3: Because what it does is it helps us to peel back the layers of a sophistry that has gone on where the court has actually distanced itself from health and science. Um, while adjudicating on matters of contraception and abortion. So very quickly, um, there is a case uh, in um, 2014, Burwell v. Hobby Lobby, and it was a challenge to the Obama administration's uh, uh, medical mandates with regard to reproductive health care. Hobby Lobby and uh, a couple of other companies did not want to provide in their insurance program drugs, which they believed were abortifacients, but they were contraception Mm -hmm. that would not provide an abortion. The Supreme Court didn't bother to um, speak to the validity of the claim, um, but instead it was conceded, in effect, that an IUD could essentially cause an abortion. I mean, ultimately, that's what we get out of that case and for those of us who care about medical science and evidence we found that case incredibly challenging and disturbing because what it did was to conflate contraception with abortive patients. Um the court got it wrong in terms of what actually causes a pregnancy and so the listeners call is really important what is happening at our court where there are individuals that can make claims that if not scrutinized and unpacked by the court can live on as law. So in this particular case, it is claimed that the FDA didn't do a sufficient job two decades ago to really test to see if these drugs are safe. Well, the World Health Organization has compared abortion to the safety of a penicillin shot. We know that women are 14 times more likely to die by carrying a pregnancy to term than by having an abortion. The Supreme Court has even conceded and acknowledged that in its 2016 case, Whole Woman's Health v. Hellerstedt. But in spite of that, what one sees in terms of the challenges is that they've been framed within the context of health and safety with the underlying kind of theory that anything other than pregnancy is a risk to a pregnant person's health and safety when, in fact, all evidence shows us that it's the opposite.
2: Yeah. Well, we have another comment from a listener who says, I had three miscarriages and I needed to take the drug Mifepristone each time. Without it, I would not have been able to miscarry safely. Having a judge substitute himself into a medical issue is crazy. And Shafali, that brings up another question I have, which is in order legally to institute a national injunction, you basically have to say that there will be irreparable harm, like if you don't do this. Um, isn't there an argument on the other side that there could be irreparable harm by creating this injunction? And, and has that been part of the court arguments um, by the government defending this drug?
1: There absolutely is that argument. And I think that is exactly sort of the, the line of thinking that we are seeing from the folks trying to defend access to medication abortion, and in particular to Mifepristone. One thing that I think is is really striking is there is – A fairly widespread expectation that this ruling, if the national injunction comes, will be really, really significant in what it does. We are already seeing sort of preparation coming from Capitol Hill and from the White House here in D.C. The the vice president had a roundtable just last week speaking with reproductive health experts across the country trying to gauge what would happen if Mifepristone is no longer available. We had a group of Democratic lawmakers urging the Attorney General to appeal immediately to try and get any injunction overturned. There isn't really a lack of understanding about just how consequential this injunction could be if it is to arise. But I think what we keep coming back to, right, is the decision is ultimately, for now, still in the hands of this single person and if it is appealed, and I'm sure Professor Goodwin can talk to this as well, the appeals court to which it goes to has a long history mm. of similarly ruling in favor of abortion restrictions.
2: Yeah. I want to bring in a caller, but I do want to get more into that process and the judge in a minute. Um, but before we do that, Leslie in Sacramento, go ahead. Yes.
4: OK, so if this is from 20 years ago, meaning there, there this specious, you know, ridiculosity is, you know, to to outlaw mifepristone is from, you know, from 20-year-old materials. Why can't the FDA sort of right now take all the new material? What I mean is, is immediate, like when I say just... Start make, to reauthorize it, it again. ...based on... Yeah. Yeah, but, but because what I mean is, is they would have no... I mean, they might... They would have... I mean, they have no case, but they... I mean, in my opinion. <laughs> but they would have no case because...
2: Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we've got twenty years of evidence. That's a excellent question. I right, really nice. that should be done and, anyway. Maybe I'm s- wrong. And you said the name of the drug, which is impressive, um, <laughs> Professor Goodwin. Uh, what What do you think about Leslie's question? Could the FDA step in even before this case is decided and start trying to authorize it again?
3: Oh, you know, look. It is absolutely possible to mount the evidence. It is absolutely possible to post the evidence. It's absolutely possible to make sure that that evidence uh, reaches uh, the the judge in in this case. I think that what has become, um, what has been so um, disconcerting is the fact that evidence has been given very limited weight um, in our uh, judiciary in recent years as it relates to questions related to abortion and contraception. If you think about the Dobbs case, for example, because this is in conversation with Dobbs on June 24th, Last year, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. The United States leads all of the industrialized world in terms of maternal mortality and maternal morbidity. The court didn't address it at all, except for one little paragraph related to Roe v. Wade, 1973. You would not think in reading Dobbs that we have the glaring problem of maternal mortality that we do presently in the United States. So mounting the evidence is important, presenting the evidence is important, but I think that what really concerns people so much is that it seems as if there is a political intervention that is taking place um, within our judiciary. And that is a bridge that's always too far. And certainly we're living in that space now. And it's even hard to deny, even amongst people who may support the outcome of these decisions, but too are deeply alarmed about how politicized our courts have become.
2: Yeah. Shafali Luthera I wonder, is this timing because of Dobbs specifically, or are there other kind of political or legal realities of recent years that have made I don't know, this, the case more sort of likely for the plaintiffs to want to file? Is it because of the judges? Like, what what's your sense of the kind of broader politics and legality of this?
1: I personally view this case as part of the fallout of the Dobbs decision. And Dobbs, we also know, happened in large part because the judiciary changed under Donald Trump's presidency. That's true of the Supreme Court. That is true of the federal judiciary as well. That is what has made this case possible. What we do know big picture from speaking to anti-abortion advocates is that they really see medication abortion as the next step. They are many deeply frustrated by people's ability to access medication abortion even in states with abortion restrictions. That is their target for this year in the State House. That is their goal for federal prosecutors and for state law enforcement officials to try and minimize access to. This is part of their effort to limit access even beyond Dobbs. And it is part and parcel of the larger sort of narrative mission to. For some abortion opponents restrict abortion nationwide right those who really support a national ban as opposed to what tech ostensibly Dobbs is about which is leaving abortion up to the states.
2: Absolutely. Um. All right, we're getting comments, and I want to remind our listeners that we are talking about a federal court case in Texas that could block access to a key abortion drug nationally. We have with us Professor Michelle Goodwin of UC Irvine School of Law and Shafali Luther, a health reporter at the 19th. I want to bring in a caller, Dorothea in Berkeley. Go ahead. Hi. So um, my
3: question is if We know the Supreme Court is very right wing and that if it goes to the Supreme
4: Court, uh, then it probably will hold to the overthrowing of the medical abortion. But I was wondering if the company that created these pills is standing as by as an amicus brief mm-hmm. for that
3: to, to stand by their product yeah. that it, they've been safe, and if that would have any effect. And the um, the other question is why are we only why is this only going before
2: one judge? How yeah. does that work? Great question. Process yeah, I'd like questions. To know more yeah, of that. <laughs> totally. I was going to get back to that. Okay. Um, I'm going to let you go. Thank you for the call, Professor Goodwin. Talk us through this. So this is as we said. Amarillo, Texas, pretty small. This judge is the only judge with jurisdiction, I think, in that um, area. And then we already mentioned the Fifth Circuit. But can you walk us through, like, what's the process here, assuming he does? Well, I guess either way he rules, there could be um, an appeal from either side, right? Well, that's right. So allows individuals who have
3: standing and are able to demonstrate that they have standing to be able to file a lawsuit that would show uh, the um, harmful impact on them or the communities that they represent that can always be challenged so in this case we have the Alliance Defending Freedom known as the ADF And it's a group that self-identified as conservative legal group, and they filed this lawsuit on behalf of four medical organizations and four doctors. Now, these happen to be anti-abortion medical organizations and four anti-abortion doctors. And in their lawsuit, what they are arguing is that the FDA lacked authority to approve the drug and didn't adequately study the medication, um, the impacts of it, and they make a claim that mifepristone is unsafe, right, Um, and these claims have been challenged, and not only by the public, but even by Biden administrative, uh, Biden administration officials, and by numerous legal experts, and even by Well known and respected organizations such as the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. They, in fact, um, say that there is robust evidence that has been accumulated over many years demonstrating just how uh, effective and safe uh, the drug happens to be. And the Department of Justice under Biden has also said that these allegations are baseless. In fact, they said that they're cursory and that they are baseless. And in fact, they have a significant potential to undermine um, how we handle regulating pharmaceuticals in this country. So um, such a suit such as this can take place. And in fact, I would say that during the Trump administration, um, when there were... uh, policies being passed by the former president, they were also being challenged. So it's not just something that people who are on the right can use. Of course, yeah. (laughs) There are people who are on the left as well Who actually uses Remember the Um,
2: travel ban? That was a national injunction, right? (laughs) Which That's that's exactly right. There were a
3: number of them, right? There was Muslim ban, travel ban, you know, children locked in cages. I mean, there were so many things during the Trump administration. And again, there was the go to a judge in order to place a nationwide injunction or ban on the president being able to engage in certain kind of policymaking.
2: Yeah. So uh, Shafali Luther so this would, you know, could go to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, I, I know you've covered other cases there, right? Like this is not a very friendly sort of process up to the Supreme Court for the left, for the Biden administration.
1: Famously in abortion jurisprudence, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is the same body that, allowed Texas's six-week abortion ban, a law known as SB8, to stay in effect, which longtime abortion trackers may recall effectively outlawed most abortions in Texas while Roe v. Wade was still the law of the land. And this was a case that was just, it was really striking because those who saw the law take effect, many were pretty stunned that it even could do so while Roe was in effect. And what what we understand is that this is, by many measures, one of the most conservative appeals courts in the country, it is not necessarily the most promising avenue for folks looking to to a set of judges who might reverse a decision that, that that we are expecting. And in fact, in the past, one of the reasons that this judge in Amarillo, Texas, has been able to sort of issue these rulings as he has is because the appeals court that he reports to is largely conservative as he is.
2: Absolutely. We are talking about a federal court case in Texas that could block access to the key abortion drug mifepristone nationally and where abortion access in America stands eight months after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We want to know, have you used mifepristone or a myso- mysoprostal? <laughs> these are hard names, guys. We want to hear about your experience. We're going to talk about mysoprostol after the break um, and what options folks might have if this injunction takes place. We want to know what your questions or feelings are about this federal case or about how abortion laws have changed since June, and how have you or your family members been affected by these changing laws regarding abortion? You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Facebook. Instagram at KQED Forum. You can also give us a call now at 866 733 6786. That is 866 um, 733 6786. Shafali Luther a listener writes, Can the manufacturer redo the safety process with the FDA? Maybe we should look at the safety process of Viagra. A little little snarky there. We kind of covered this earlier, but it doesn't seem like that is a path that that we're seeing the administration or the manufacturer follow yet, right?
1: I think Professor Goodwin's point is a really good one, that there is sort of a, a different world that we are in right now where the the medical facts don't always seem that pertinent in how cases are sort of argued and decided. I do want to go back actually to a question that was raised earlier which was where the manufacturers of these drugs are mm. and the the manufacturer of the branded version of mifepristone has in fact signed on to challenge with the gov- federal government in this case right arguing that mifepristone should stay on the market. There is a separate case in West Virginia as well, where the manufacturer of a generic mifepristone drug is challenging that state's medication abortion ban as well. So drug manufacturers are also trying to fight against these restrictions. They have very obvious reason to do so. But we haven't seen any success yet on that front.
2: And quickly, before we go to break, I assume the generics would be included in any ruling. We're using mifepristone as the name, but they would all fall under this. The, the branded name is mifeprex but mifepristone is the drug at large got it all right that is Shafali luthera we will be right back with her and professor goodwin after a short break
4: And welcome back to Forum. I'm
2: Marisa Lagos. And today for Mina Kim, we are talking about a federal court case challenging medication abortions. If uh, a judge rules in that case, it could if, impact folks nationally, even in states like California, where abortion is legal. And I want to go to a caller now. Gina in San Rafael. Go ahead, Gina Marie. Hi, it's Gina Marie. Hey, Gina Marie. So
3: we Marie.
2: defend
3: against... Uh, we defend against the plaintiff's assertion and cross-suit ask that if the courts rule in favor of the uh, plaintiffs, that all FDA approvals during that time frame, using the same process and procedure, also be rescinded as unsafe. What are your guest thoughts?
2: All right, Gina Marie. With that question, Professor Goodwin, is that a legal strategy that could work?
3: Well, you know, certainly the argumentation is, quite sophisticated right and what it exposes is the fallibility of the um, claim right which is that the FDA 20 years ago had no authority here and didn't follow um, um, what they consider to be the most rigorous or robust health and safety review of course the same argument could be made 20 years ago 10 years ago 5 years ago absolutely Um, will we see that entering in the argumentation of this case? There might be some nod to it, but at the end of the day, it won't be um, that argument that will secure uh, abortion rights or the ability to to continue to have Mifepristone available. So I do very much like the argument, and it points out the sophistry behind this, the kind of cherry picking Mm -hmm. that has taken place amongst people who are oppositional to abortion, you know, um, and I would also say, too, that what we see today are bridges that would have been thought five years ago as really too far. So we're talking not just about matters of abortion in the abstract. What we're also seeing is the efforts that um, also seek to ban abortion with no exceptions for cases of rape or incest, the uh, call for surveilling individuals who might aid or abet individuals with terminating a pregnancy. On the horizon, which I think is important for our conversation, and even today, is the dismantling of the First Amendment, such that people aren't supposed to talk about abortion if you're a librarian. If you work at certain universities, you shouldn't write or put things in the emails that say abortion and so much more. So this is an important conversation that we have, but it's also not divorced from the atmosphere that's been curated around um, the public health and safety of abortion access.
2: Yeah. Well, I want to go to a, another caller, Jessica in San Francisco. Jessica, go ahead.
4: Hi there. Hey. Can you hear me?
2: Yeah, go, go right ahead.
4: Um, so when my daughter was born, I experienced a very... Serious hemorrhage, and the midwife acted very quickly to administer multiple medications, one of which was misoprostol. Um, and so, I guess my comment is that I, I believe both of these medications can
3: be used for
4: uh, reasons other than
3: abortion care that are life-saving for mothers. Which I understand that abortion care also
4: can be. Um, but is misoprostol also being challenged in the court?
2: Great question. Jessica um, Shafali luther I know you've looked at this. Tell us a little bit about that, um, the second drug we've been talking about and how it interacts with this case and also just like the, uh, yeah, how how it's used.
1: Misoprostol at this point is not being challenged in this case, and that is incredibly important. Misoprostol, technically, when it's provided for abortions, is prescribed off-label. It's not explicitly approved as an abortion drug, but it is perhaps arguably the more important drug in inducing a medication abortion. And what we are seeing is in many countries around the world already where mifepristone is too expensive, people who get medication abortions do it with misoprostol only. There is a higher failure rate. It is more painful for many people and the dosing can get tricky. We have providers in the United States who are currently preparing to switch to a mesoprostol only regimen in anticipation of losing access to mifepristone. There are many concerns about what it will take to do this. Some providers are really worried that they will see higher failure rates and more patients need to come back in for follow-up for sort of this surgical procedure, a very minor procedure to help complete the abortion. What we are anticipating is heightened challenges for people who travel across state lines to seek abortions who live in states where abortion is banned and now go to a state where it is not for care because of this higher failure rate and concern that they might need to come back for misoprostol again would they simply switch to a surgical abortion instead and be denied the the opportunity to choose for themselves what kind of termination procedure they would like i think also you've spoken to a really important point which is that the medications used in abortion are part of our healthcare system at large. And what we saw right after the Dobbs decision was challenges across the board for people trying to access medications they needed for all sorts of health conditions. And the the importance that misoprostol played in, in caring for for someone after pregnancy, that matters because what we are going to see, what we are seeing and will continue to experience is people not being able to access medications that they need for all sorts of reasons that maybe haven't been fully anticipated by the current legal framework.
2: Right. So we do have a, a listener who wrote in that they use for to control high blood sugar in patients with Cushing syndrome who also have type 2 diabetes and have failed surgery or are not candidates for surgery. So it sounds like that would impact folks in that case, too, if the judge indeed strikes this down. Um, I want to bring in another caller, Mary from Gilroy. Mary, go ahead.
4: You there, Mary? Hello. Hey. Yeah, hi. I was just telling her um, about when I had a, a, a spontaneous miscarriage of tw- twins several years ago, mm-hmm. and I wish I would have had drugs available at that time to help me because it was incomplete. It lasted for two weeks I was bleeding, and they finally did a DNC because I be- was becoming anemic, and um, I still had some pregnancy left. So I wish that I would have had the drugs available. And I don't think there's enough emphasis given to people who um, not elective abortions, but they just have spontaneous miscarriages. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Mary. We really appreciate you calling and sharing um, your point of view. And, you know, Professor Goodwin talked a lot, Shefali, about the like sort of lack of rigor in terms of actual medical scientific standards in these cases. I do want to, can you just tell us a little bit more about this federal judge, Matthew Kaczmarek, because he is getting a lot of attention specifically.
1: Absolutely. And one thing I will say to listeners is there is a fabulous story in the Washington Post from this weekend that goes fully into his history. I thought it was incredibly well done. Would recommend it to anyone. Talk to his sister
2: and everything. Yeah.
1: Exactly. It's a great way to sort of get into exactly who this man is. But what we know, just the big picture highlights, is this is someone who has consistently not favored access to contraception who does not support in many of his rulings and writings access to abortion who has concerns about not preventing lgbtq discrimination he is largely someone who does seem to to tend in his rulings in his writings in his speaking toward this more quote-unquote socially conservative but largely sort of restrictive when it comes to reproductive health care viewpoint and we continue to see that in in his judicial writing, in his legal scholarship. And that is what many of us understand to be the reason that this case is here and why his opinions will be so influential in determining access to mifeprestone.
2: Yeah. Professor Goodwin, is there a chance that if he does indeed um, impart an injunction in this case, that it could have implications for other types of drugs, birth control, PrEP, other sort of things, you know, uh, drugs that have been under attack by conservatives as well. Oh, absolutely. So one has to pay attention
3: to the flow of these cases, right? Uh, What Dobbs case represents for now this case, what this case could mean for other types of uh, medications, other kinds of services, that help uh, people who are LGBTQ, um, that help individuals with the capacity for pregnancy. And it's important to understand that Dobbs too was in many ways the result of um, the Burwell v. Hobby Lobby decision, right? So seeing these in isolation, I think is really a mistake. Instead, what one can see is an agenda um, within our court um, and one that was articulated by the past president quite clearly, I'm not making this up. He ran on a campaign that um, President Trump, that he would do what he could to appoint judges and justices that would dismantle Roe v. Wade and also criminalize women and people who assist them in terminating pregnancies. Now, your question is, well, could this have implications for other um, areas of medication? I think it's worth noting that this would probably be cabined around those kinds of medications that help people to stave off pregnancy, such as contraceptive drugs, or else those kinds of drugs that have um, been helpful for individuals who are seeking self-sex affirmative care Mm -hmm. or gender affirmative care. And I think that those will be part of this next horizon.
2: Yeah, and this judge in particular has already rolled in some transgender cases as well. Um, We have a couple more snarky comments. A listener asks, can legislators be sued for practicing medicine without a license? Um, And Diane also wants to dig in on the Viagra question. Says, Viagra was approved by the FDA a mere two years after it was developed despite significant medical risks associated with it. If women are denied access to safe medication to terminate a pregnancy, I suggest someone file a suit to deny men a medication necessary for them to to produce one, and another <laughs> listener writes: "Since Dobbs, the reproductive health community has focused on expanding medical abortion access to counter the limits seen in banned states. This activity in the federal court is a clear and well-organized response to this approach. The alternative medical abortion protocols without mifepristone metf- are less effective and more harmful to pregnant people. This has nothing to do with medication safety, but control of pregnant bodies and forced maternity." Um, we are talking about a federal court case in Texas that could block access to a key abortion drug nationally and where abortion access stays. And you are listening to Forum. I am Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim today. So... I want to kind of look ahead um, and, and talk a little bit more broadly about what is happening um, nationally. And I know that we have seen, um, Shafali, uh, some data indicating people are re- very confused in this moment about abortion access because of how rapidly things have changed post-Dobbs. Can you just talk a little bit about what we know and and maybe some resources for people to kind of understand where things do stand wherever they live?
1: Absolutely. Um and it is really difficult for people to know what their rights are, right, when it feels like they keep changing from day to day, from court case to court case, um, and from what clinics are able to offer. There are a few resources I think are just phenomenal. Um, the Guttmacher Institute is a great place to look for information about what is legal on the state to state level. At our website, 19thnews.org, we keep this regularly updated map that just tracks what abortion looks like in every state. We update it whenever there is a decision changing, if a law is being enforced, whenever a new ban passes, whenever a new protection passes, so people can go and see what the laws are in their state. For those looking for really practical granular information about where they can find an abortion and how far clinics will go, one of the websites that many people use is called I Need an A, and what happens there is they track all of the abortion clinics in the country, as well as how far they will provide abortions. So you can know, for instance, if you live in South Carolina, where abortion is legal up to 22 weeks, but only provided in clinics up to 14, what your options are, where you can go, and if you have to leave the state, where is a viable option for you.
2: Thank you so much. That's super helpful. Uh, Professor Goodwin, I wonder outside of the judicial system, I mean, we know that President Biden and his administration have been staunch supporters of reproductive access. Is there anything they can continue to do beyond the executive orders and, and sort of funding and, and other efforts we've seen at the federal level um, to continue to help you know provide access across the country?
3: Well, I think that the efforts that have taken place by the Biden administration are very important, those that have taken place. Keep in mind that there are those that have, have made suggestions with regard to federal lands. Is it possible to provide services um, on lands that um, the federal government holds power and control over? Um, there have been discussions, and there have been each of the presidents, most of the senior officials in the president's cabinet have looked through how, within the domain of what they do, they can protect access, such as with regard to transportation, the FDA, and the new um, regulations with regard to access at pharmacies. There are those that say that, in fact, they could go even further than what it is that they, how far they have done. So one argument is that it's been good where the president and the administration has started and now they need to revisit what more they can do. But let's also keep in mind that states that are seeking to be welcome states, freedom states, however we might want to call them in the wake of these abortion restrictions, those states can think, too, about how they further secure Abortion rights, we saw through referenda in November, a number of states taking this on, making sure that it was clear that a constitutional right to privacy and equality with regard to reproduction would be in their state's constitution. So I think it's important not to just look at what the federal government could do and what the president can do, and of course the Congress could pass the Women's Health Protection Act, but also at the local level, there's work that legislators can do.
2: Absolutely. And I mean, we know that if this issue matters to you, voting showing up in the political system is, is really important because that's what got us here. Um, shafali Luther, can you just talk about that? And like, what is ahead? First of all, in the court case, what's the timing here? When could we expect a ruling? Um, and if you know, and what are the options for that ruling? We've been talk- talking a lot about a national injunction. Is there something short of that this judge could do?
1: We are expecting a ruling truly any day now. It could have come as of this past Friday. So your guess is as good as mine at this point. (laughs) Um, There are obviously other things that we could see. We could see him reject the arguments being made and leave Mifepristone untouched. We could see a ruling that allows Mifepristone on the market, but maybe removes access to telemedicine. So people have to get care in person, which would really sort of, again, strain clinic's resources, limit their ability to provide care at the scale many of them are now forced to operate. Um, we could see something with a more localized impact as well. I think it's a really good question as to whether we see a national injunction or restrictions that you know only affect certain parts of the country. Um, bigger picture beyond this court case, I think we have to keep an eye on state houses. We are at the moment of the year where state legislatures are getting in session. They are thinking about abortion restrictions. Many of them are working to pass them. Nebraska has a six-week ban that is advancing. We are expecting to see something in Florida, although nobody knows quite what that will be. There has been talk about trying to pass something in North Carolina because they may be able to get a veto-proof majority to override the state's Democratic governor. I think all of these are going to be incredibly important places to watch, Um, and for states that have long been sort of experimentation grounds for the next generation of abortion restrictions, we have to always be watching places like Texas and Missouri, where they are trying to think about ways to limit people's ability to access care beyond just a state abortion ban.
2: All right. Well, we'll leave it with this comment. Janice says, I don't understand why we're having these rational discussions about a biased judge in Texas and the impossibility of a successful appeal. Instead of civil disobedience, getting pro-abortion states to announce that they're not enforcing these kind of anti-women laws that are so separated from public opinion. We will leave it there. We had Michelle Goodwin from UC Irvine School of Law with us and Shefali Luther, a health reporter for the 19th. I'm in today for Mina Kim. My name is Marisa Lagos. Have a great day and and we'll see you next time.
3: Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.